Welcome back to the Successful Diligence Podcast. I wanted to make sure that you were aware of how valuable you are to us and me here at Successful Diligence as a listener of the podcast. It means so much that you allow me to provide value through the podcast and that you listen and you show up and you invest your time. It means the world to me and I so appreciate it. One way that you can show your appreciation for the podcast, if you've gotten any value from anything we've ever said um, in Sode, is you can support us financially so that we can continue to provide the value that you've come to know from the Successful Diligence podcast. And it can be literally less than a cup of coffee a day, 99 cents per month. That's less than a dollar per month, all the way up to five, ten dollars, however much you want to give. But as little as a dollar, less than a dollar, 99 cents, that would make such a difference to us. You can go to the show notes and you can click the link where listener support is highlighted. Um, There's different links in the show notes. Or you can go to anchor.fm backslash successful diligence backslash support and you can sign up there and literally it's one time per month 99 cents less than a cup of coffee and yet you would be having an impact on supporting this podcast to bring more value reach more people to have a greater impact in the world and we appreciate in advance any support that you're able to provide again anchor.fm slash successful diligence slash support or you can click the link in the show notes and show your support financially we appreciate it and we thank you in advance today's episode is an interview that i had the honor of doing with sudeshna sen and you have heard her voice before because On episode 197, she is the one that interviewed me um, for that episode, and I had the pleasure of talking with her before and after that uh, episode, and we decided that I had to bring her on so that she could share her wisdom and value about imposter syndrome and her journey from imposter syndrome to confidence and how she was able to come from a place of not feeling confident and lower self-esteem and using biochemistry and different strategies to evolve into a confident, successful person who has created an abundant and fulfilling life. And I'm so excited for her to share with you all that she's learned, both, you know, through her own experience, as well as through working with her clients. So I know that you're going to find a ton of value in this episode. It is a little bit on the longer side. So if you are doing something else, you can multitask while you listen and still get the value. Um, And I know you're going to enjoy. Would love to get some feedback. So leave your um, feedbacks either in the comments on the video, if you're watching this in the interview course on the school and you can get to the school by the link in the show notes 
or you can send a voicemail to successful del- I mean you can send a voicemail by clicking the link in the show notes but you can also send an email to successfuldiligence.com/contact and give us your feedback there as well or click the link in the show notes and you can send a voicemail message um, to let us know what you think Welcome to the Successful Diligence Podcast. I am so excited that today we have a tremendous guest who is going to deposit such value into our lives with her story and her experiences. And I'm going to read a short bio, if I can pull it up. All right. So we have with us today Sudeshna, and I hope I pronounced that correctly because it's a beautiful name. <laughs> uh, Sudeshna is the founder of the Abundant Psyche, and she is a career strategist and personal development geek who also has a day job as a data science leader. So she's very smart. <laughs> and much of what she speaks about is from her experience of navigating her career and what she has witnessed with the careers of her students and her clients. She is also spiritual, and she brings some of those aspects to the practical aspect of spirituality and infuses that into what she teaches. And she's got um, a really rich experience herself that we're going to dive into where she, I know, drew a lot of wisdom that I hope that she shares with us. And I'm so excited to get to know her better and have her share with us. So welcome. So glad to have you. Thank you so much, Michelle. My honor. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about you for my listeners who are not familiar with you, like your background and who you are, what you do, where you're from. Yeah, sure. So I currently head up a small data science team in one of the uh, world's top events organizations. It's funny because 2020 is the year when no events are happening. Um, But um, uh, before this, I worked in consulting for pretty much my entire career. So I used to work with Deloitte and then Strategy and, uh, which is a part of uh, PwC. Um, And I think it's fair to say I have had quite a successful career till now. That's how it looks on paper. But I remember like, you know, if I go back about five, six years when um, I moved to London, I remember the day Uh, It was 23rd of September, 2014. And I was convinced that I'm unemployable. I had just moved from India to the UK and just uh, being from that sort of a culture where um, the UK had kind of, so to speak, ruled over India for uh, almost 200 years. And I was in my head also moving from the Indian financial capital, which is Bombay, um, to perhaps world's financial capital. And I was working in consulting and banking. And in my head, I was like, oh my God, this is like the cream de la cream of the world. I am no one in front of them. So I so basically, you thought, so you thought. That, that's, that's what I thought. And 24th of September, the moment, uh, the day after I landed, um, I basically started applying to jobs. And my husband would go do his work. He'd go to work and the whole time I would just be applying to jobs and, you know, make connections, network and so on and so forth. Um, 
and before this time all i had heard was people like me had taken around two to three years to land a decent enough job to their liking however funny thing is by december uh the 25th 24th actually because uh, everything's closed around christmas here anyway so by december i had like four job offers and i had to literally start saying no to interviewing more and i wow. was like okay so you got to choose what job you wanted to go to yeah and and they were from like the top consulting houses again and i was like okay hey so i got some jobs and this is unheard of and people were like oh wow you are lucky indeed and i was like yeah sure i'm i'm so lucky i mean of course i'm blessed and of course i am blessed in so many ways that um like i had the right set of parents i had uh the degrees to kind of support me and all of it but at that point i was like it this is just pure luck and you know that's it so i had zero belief in myself and then me, i started let me back up yeah. for a minute what caused you to move from mumbai to the uk in the first place like what what sort of went into that decision so my husband was in the uk for a long time and i eventually decided to make the move because um in my head i well first of all we wanted to be together and the second thing that i thought was that if he came back that would be great as well uh, but if i wanted to get some international exposure this is a golden opportunity to get that so i decided to just uh, take a leap of faith and you know just just come down to london and i have been here for some time can't say i'll be here forever but i'm here now and well, you had the courage to jump and obviously it paid off because you had all of those those offers from those big companies when you didn't think that you would get those at first so yeah. what was that like when you like how did you feel when you were presented with all of these offers that you didn't think that you would necessarily get so it's it's interesting because i never really valued whatever skills i had enough i think um and it was interesting to note that other people are seeing in me something that i wasn't seeing in myself um but actually even 5 6 years ago when when i was doing the move in my head i was very naive i was like yeah i'm lucky this just paid off this is a stroke of luck yeah maybe i'm good at networking maybe um i just got lucky with the application and the people i met they just liked me That's so you were giving yourself so, credit so so i i i don't think i gave myself enough credit and that would bite me hard later on in my career so and that's exactly what happened because um when you don't give yourself the credit for who you are people stop giving you the credit as well going further ahead so yeah i always say that you know how you perceive yourself and how you think about yourself is going to impact how you behave and that's going to then impact how other people treat you and perceive you based on what you're displaying and how you show up in the world. So if you show up strong and confident, they're like, "Oh, okay, she's strong and confident." But if you show up sort of not valuing 
and giving yourself credit, then they're like, well, why should I if she doesn't? So that sort of makes sense. Exactly. And I, I think um, to a certain degree, if you don't believe in yourself, why else? Why should anyone else believe in you? That's a great question. So, so that's, that's, I think, a lesson that I have learned the hard way. So what do you think was it that contributed to you not valuing your skills that everybody else saw, but that you sort of didn't give yourself credit for? Um, so, you know, I think I have always been an overachiever in many ways. Um, so it was never really hard for me to get straight A's in school. And then from school, when I went to do my degree, um, that was also I wasn't it during my degree I wasn't uh, the best student in class but I had a bunch of other things going on in my head I was running a side gig I was doing a ton of freelancing work so I I basically created a nice business for myself sitting out of my uh, room and this was what that gives away my age but this was like 15 years ago I, I was making more money than a graduate would after um, finishing their degrees just sitting in a room by myself and this was around the time when the internet was the online businesses were starting to get um, formed back in the day. That's impressive, so, though. I mean, good for yeah, you. That's impressive. That is. But again, I kind of never really valued that skill either because I was like, this is so easy. I don't believe that more people don't do this. And I don't believe that I have to do this degree. But that was the right thing to do at that point. Um, so you almost like you almost like took it for granted. You almost took your skills and, and your giftings for granted just because it came so easy and natural to you, which I yeah. can understand that. You know, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And uh, even after like when I did my master's, I really enjoyed doing my master's. I really enjoyed economics and finance. Um, and the fact that people would value something so much it was kind of like, well, you know, all of my friends can do this. So why am I special? So I guess that also comes from being a part of a world-class institute, but also, you know, the world-class institute is not known to the world in some ways. So if I think about it right now, um, two Indians have gotten Nobel prizes in economics. Both of them come from my college. And uh, obviously, when you think about it like that, it puts a ton of things into perspective. Yeah, but, give obviously, you but obviously, if I told you the name of my university in the West, no one would know about it. And you kind of equate that with, okay, so I did not go to an Ivy League, I did not go to Oxford or Cambridge. So am I really good enough? So hmm. I guess uh, there was a bit of that as well. Yeah, sort of like taking on other people's standards instead of mm -hmm. recognizing sort of what you actually achieved and how great that is. So in the workplace, you know, when you were not sort of valuing that, how did you overcome that? Like, how did, did you gain confidence? Did you, did it sort of, you know, interfere with your career? Like what happened? So um, I, I, I was not uh, believing in myself for 
anything, I think. And for the first couple of projects, it's not that I do not have the skills, but I do not have the confidence to communicate my viewpoint with my team or my clients. And consulting is an environment where communication trumps everything else. So I literally suffered those first two projects. My juniors would go um, and talk to my senior managers and be like, okay, she, I don't know what she's about, but she's supposed to be leading the team. She's not doing anything. And that was the point where I was like, okay, maybe all of these people are right. And I being incompetent, that is also right. Because, well, see, there's proof that I'm not good enough. So it's almost like um, your self-esteem took a hit and then you were looking for the evidence to validate how you felt about yourself and you found it because they were yeah. kind of perpetuating that. That's so yeah. interesting. Yeah. So I basically was like, yeah, that's it. And th it's, it's kind of like a vicious circle, you know, the more you undervalue yourself, the more people don't see value and then that becomes self-fulfilling. Right. But thankfully for me, one uh, of my mentors, uh, she's a, she's a mentor, a very senior partner in my firm. She was new to the firm as well. And I got a chance to work with her. And she took me aside one day and she was like, Sudeshna, you've been doing this for five years now, but how you talk about it doesn't seem to get that across. It doesn't seem like you've been doing this for five years. It doesn't seem like you know this subject well enough, but I know that you do because you have talked me through a ton of this. Why don't you hold up yourself at client he kind of like called you out she sort of like yeah. called you out of your out of your hole <laughs> yeah out out of my so she called me out but in a very nice and mentoring way rather than in a okay you are not good so you are dismissed sort of a way and then she uh, kind of suggested that I go do some um reading up on imposter syndrome she said that well uh, you know what you are talking about but maybe you need to do some self-help personal development sort of stuff um, she referred me to a talk by amy cuddy who's a social psychologist i think uh, that actually got me started on the path of well is it really um is it that i'm not competent or is it that I feel that I'm not competent? So that's the start of, I guess, me reflecting back on what is it really? Is it the lack of confidence because of a lack of con competence or is it just a lack of confidence and that's it? So that was, like, that was like the first question you asked yourself. So the question that sort of broke that, that um, pattern was, is it that I'm not competent or is it that I feel like I'm not competent? And that's really interesting and important because I always say we have to ask ourselves different questions to get a different behavior and a different consequence. So that sort of speaks to that, that you have to start becoming aware and then ask yourself different questions. Now, you mentioned imposter syndrome. Tell us what that is um, for those of us who are not familiar with that. So imposter syndrome is basically when there's not a lack of competence, 
there's just a lack of confidence, but the competence is there. So I guess the first thing you need to clarify is, am I competent enough for the job? And if you say, no, I'm not, that's fine. But you have to kind of put in the effort to quickly get to the point where you can say, yes, I'm competent enough for the job. But so you, the have second, the skills. so you have to have the skills and at times getting super competent actually exudes confidence for mm. many of us. So the moment you turn a lot more competent than your peers, you suddenly start uh, appearing as more confident just by, vir by the virtue of knowing so much more. And I hate to say this, but there are so many people who are just on the surface of things. They wouldn't go down in the depths and the dirt of the subject matter, whatever they deal with. And that's probably one of the reasons people, especially consultants, I think, uh, suffer a lot from the imposter syndrome. In my case, though, I think it was more of a lack of confidence, not of competence, because um, I already knew what I needed to be delivering. In fact, every time I did actually open my mouth on my subject matter, the clients would be blown away. But it's just that I did not have the courage to speak up right you weren't looking at it from their perspective you were looking at it from inside out rather than outside in yes yeah, so, so, so in uh, so if i speak about imposter syndrome there are two sorts of people one one sort is they are just incompetent but very very com confident or don't have that much confidence and therefore should get more competent um, but then the other lot are the ones who are really really smart they know what they are talking about but they are kind of swimming in this uh, ocean where they know all of the other things that they don't know about but they don't realize that they are five steps ahead of the people that they are trying to serve so so you don't focusing need to... on what they don't know, not what they do know. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and if I'm going to help a client out, it depends on the client as well, right? So, for example, in my case, on that particular project, I was helping out a client who had no idea about data and data strategy. Obviously, I knew much, much more than that person. But if I was to say, for example, go and consult um, a Google team on machine learning strategy, um, I would be out of my depth. So it also varies depending on who is it that you are trying to serve. Right, because I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't know what that strategy is. I've uh, never heard of it. <laughs> uh, so so uh, ML is machine learning, and uh, machine learning is one of the core, if not the core component of artificial intelligence. And artificial intelligence is anything robotics related, but slightly smarter than vanilla robotics. So if you, for example, think of Siri or Google search is a yeah. very good example of artificial intelligence, which is machine learning. 
Interesting. Very interesting. So what are some strategies that helped you? I mean, obviously you got the mentor who called you out in a loving way and sort of almost sort of shared her confidence in you because she gave you a different lens to look at yourself. Mm. So getting a mentor helps. And then you said that you started to learn more about imposter syndrome and what that is and kind of bringing that to your awareness, asking yourself different questions. What other strategies did you use to overcome that? So one of them obviously was, am I really incompetent or uh, is it just me focusing on the wrong things in this situation? That's one top uh, question I, I still ask myself to the day. Um, the other question, uh, or rather the learning from that was, there's a lot of biochemistry that helps us manage uh, confidence. So for example, in general, um, men appear more confident than women because testosterone as a hormone produces confidence in you. And just by virtue of being female, we have less of testosterone. So we have to sort of understand that. And we could almost put that sort little gap between, well, is it my incompetence speaking? Is it my hormones speaking? Or is it, what, what is it? So we kind of can create a gap between ourselves and the issue, the problem. And I think that helped me massively, just the knowledge that, you know, my hormones are to blame, for example. So um, then there's, uh, there are a couple of other things like, for example, the breath work. So when you stand up in a meeting or a presentation, all eyes are on you and you start to breathe very differently. You, your breathing becomes more shallow. But yeah, because you're took, nervous and you're like, everyone's looking at me. <laughs> exactly. But if you took a deep couple of breaths before getting into the room and kept your mind on the breath and the problem that you're trying to solve, not your ego in some ways, um, that helped me kind of get around that a lot easier then there there are a few poses and tricks that people talk of the superwoman pose where generally when um you have a winner stance you go like you kind of expand your body out and that's true for all animals including humans um and if you can kind of hold that stance for a couple of minutes, even when you are not feeling the more, most confident, your neural uh, pathways suddenly start kicking in those hormones that help you be more confident. So it's so interesting that there's a difference number one, because I never thought about that, that men do have much more testosterone and not to say that they don't struggle with confidence because they do, but I think women, especially in, in the work world, struggle a lot more with confidence and self-esteem and imposter syndrome, as you described it. And I never thought about that, that the hormones definitely impact, especially for females, depending on what time of the month it is and how emotional we are, um, or if we're you know, in different seasons of life. 
Um, and also you were talking about the nonverbal sort of physical body stances to induce like a different blood flow and different neural pathways and different hormone releases. That's fascinating because it really does make a difference and it can, it can almost like shift your focus because what, you, what you've talked a lot about is that shifting your focus from what you do have, what you are competent in, what you can do, and shifting that away from what you can't do or what you're not confident in sort of helps you because I always say whatever you focus on, you're going to get more of that because you're paying attention to it. And so by focusing on your strengths, you're sort of reinforcing that and then communicating that non-verbally to everybody around you. So that makes a lot of sense. That's that's absolutely right. And that's the other reason I talk about breath is that's one thing that if you can control, you immediately not only in yourself become more balanced and more centered, but also you start becoming someone who's perceived as more confident. So like if I give you a, an, a working example, for example, if you think of a teenager, typically they would uh, have uh, one leg stretched out and they, while standing, they'll uh, put their weight on one leg and not on the other. But when you think of, uh, an executive speaking, you'd see that they are more balanced and centered at the spine, at the backbone, and both uh, legs actually have a distributed weight. And that's the center of gravity. That's where all of the energy comes together and harmonizes and balances things out. And that's what I kind of tend to say. These are the practical applications of spirituality in the way I look at it, that spirituality is not some woo-woo God out there. Well, that's that's my my view. I mean, yeah, I, I agree. Nothing, with you nothing, nothing against anyone's views, um, but um, if we can kind of uh, manage ourselves in the moment with that, I think that's powerful and that's worth practicing meditation for or whatever else you want to do journaling. Yeah. And that's fascinating that, I mean, because as you're pointing out, like the examples, I'm like, yeah, that does, that makes sense. <laughs> like when you see a speaker who, who you're like, you believe everything they say because they, they appear confident, their nonverbal behavior backs up what they're saying, but they are like standing in a balanced way and, you know, their head is straight and they're talking not fast or emotional. They're sort of, um, they have inflection in their voice, but they're sort of speaking in a way that just almost draws you into their confidence like they know you believe them because they believe themselves and so communicating that even if you don't believe it at first practicing that and then working with your breathing and your body that'll produce the hormones and then the more you do it the better you get and then it becomes reality that's so fascinating yeah it, it is i mean you know once you start recognizing all of these things you cannot just close your eyes when people are doing something very strange. So, for example, the other day I was um, watching this thing on YouTube, um, a presentation by very, very smart people. So Neuralink, which is uh, Elon Musk's um, 
Neuralink. That sounds that sounds like really smart people. <laughs> so, so 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 you know all. So I know for a fact that all of the people who are standing on the podium, they are like top-notch scientists in the world. And I couldn't help but notice that, you know, you and I speak like our hands are out there. We are talking. We are doing something or the other with our hands, which Very is animated. <laughs> but they were like that and the moment you appear closed off or people can't see your hands they start perceiving you as a closed off person someone who's not trustworthy just because if you again go back to the caveman days people didn't know who they could trust or not they had to kind of if you see that there's nothing in the person's hands they don't have a knife or a rock or something they might be able to hurt me with. Yeah, they're not a threat. They are not a threat. Um, And if you kind of apply the same sort of thinking to yourself in the context of a presentation, a speech, um, day-to-day interactions, I think that becomes so much more sensible, but also powerful. Yeah, I mean, definitely. And it can it can open doors for you as well that you might not have thought you could get into. Like you said, you didn't think you'd get all those job offers and lo and behold, you did. <laughs> so you, you were obviously communicating confidence and competence, even though you didn't feel that on the inside at first. So I wonder though, because I mean, you are very intelligent, I can, I can tell. <laughs> um, how did you choose the career that you have? Like, how did you know you were going to go into data science and consulting? Like, did you always know that? Were you always interested in that? Or was there sort of a path that you took? So the short answer is no, I didn't know that I wanted to get into data science because when I was studying, data science was not even a thing. Um, But what I did know is that I wanted to do something with quantitative uh, fields. So... I basically also knew that I was good at the liberal arts sort of stuff because um, um, in general, I'm quite balanced. So I like the quancy bit, but I also like the literature and the um, language artsy bits as well. So economics was quite a perfect degree for me to do because it kind of balanced out the quants along with the business softer skills bit of it yes it fuses all of that yeah and um i think uh like i we were speaking yesterday so michelle and i were speaking yesterday whenever i saw an opportunity i just grabbed it and that's how i ended up being in data science far before data science was a cool field so i think Harvard Business, uh, uh, the magazine, they dubbed data science as the coolest profession of the 21st century. But you know what? I did not know that. I just you were a cool kid before there. you knew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, 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 just, it just happened. And now I, I think back and say that, yeah, it's a good thing that it happened. But, um, you know, no, 
and there are tons of other cool jobs out there that we haven't heard about so yeah, yeah. And, and more jobs coming as new industries come about but I think what's interesting is that you were aware of what you were good at so you could do like an assessment of your skills and so you knew what you liked and you also knew what you were good at so you knew that you didn't want to go into like performing arts and be on Broadway or the theater, right? But you were personable and you like per people and interacting, you know, in the liberal arts sort of stuff. So did that sort of um, help you in your career? So once you sort of dealt with your confidence and the imposter syndrome, was there any sort of strategy that you, you know, Im implemented in your career or did you sort of do the same thing? Like, well, this is what I'm good at. Here's an opportunity. Let me have the courage and jump through it. Or was it sort of more planned out? Um, so I think right out of university, I was quite adamant that I wanted to do finance because I was good at it. I enjoyed it. And this was in the aftermath of the 2008 crisis. And who was going to give me a job in finance? Almost no one. Right. So I said, okay, so, but I know I want to do finance. So I did a pivot and said, okay, I, I have done a ton of uh, courses on risk management. So financial risk was becoming a hot topic back in 20, 2009. And that's where I ended up with Deloitte in their risk management um, function. And then as the market started developing, and I also started kind of thinking of other things, looking and spotting opportunities, I just um, kind of had this long-term view of I want to be successful. I didn't know what success looked like. I still don't know what success looks like. Like maybe, I don't know, 20 years down the line, success will look like, am I being able to meditate for 20 hours a day in a Himalayan cave? Maybe, who knows? Um, <laughs> I think at different seasons of our life, success looks different. So like when you're you know, in, in, in education and college, you, your success is getting a job at a good firm or a good, you know, employment. And then it's, you know, success is getting married and raising a healthy family. And then it's, you know, living a good life or whatever, whatever success is defined by for the person, but it can change over the different seasons of life as well. Um, yeah. So I think from, uh, from the start, what I did know is that I need to get some credibility around what I want to do. So for example, if I think of the entrepreneurship bit that I was doing back in university, I was doing it, but I knew that no one around me thought that I was successful. So I always had to sort of teach people something, but they would not in my head want to learn from someone who's not successful. So I had to take this massive detour through the corporate world to get back to the same thing in some ways. Sort of like prove yourself. I have the resume, you have to believe that I'm I'm competent and know what I'm doing. Yeah. 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 So that that was the long way of doing it. But in the Meanwhile, I also gained a ton of skills. I also got to see the top businesses of the world and how businesses are run rather than, you know, if I had just run my business from my room, that would have been a perfectly valid way to do it. But I just wouldn't have had the knowledge of the bigger world. Well, and you also wouldn't have had that journey through conquering imposter syndrome and gaining that confidence and self-esteem 
so that you could give that, that knowledge and those tips and strategies to your clients. You wouldn't have that if you didn't have to go through that. So yeah. tell us more um, about the Abundant Psyche and, and what you do sort of um, for your business and what that's all about. So I basically help uh, early to mid-career professionals set up a life of abundance. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll come to abundance in a minute. Uh, in both their career, and I feel like once they do it in their career, they will have to have it in their life. And that's what I typically do. My clients tend to be mostly consultants or ex-consultants because um, I think I resonate with them the most because that's the same path that they took uh, and I took. It's sort of like um, shared experience. Exactly, exactly. So they know where I'm coming from, but um, I don't have anything to say that, okay, only consultants, no, nothing like that. Um, and when I say abundance, I mean it literally in every sort of way, um, an abundance of confidence, an abundance of, um, I guess, even money, like, um when you start looking, if you pay attention, you know that there's no scarcity in the world. The universe is in some ways abundant. So if you, if you are struggling to find someone to love, you are probably coming at love from a very sort of a scarcity mindset rather than from the world is my own and I can love everything and everyone, even if they sound a bit rude, a bit harsh. Um, I have that sort of an abundance in my heart. I hold the place for everyone. Um, same and what's with for you favorite. in the world is for you. So it's not that there might be a lack, but you just haven't accessed what belongs to you in the world. So it's there. You just haven't found it yet or it hasn't found you yet. Yeah, exactly. And and also, I think quite a lot of times we tend to think of love in a very siloed concept of romantic love, but it's just so much bigger than that. Or we tend to think of um, money as my money in my bank account, as opposed to what is money? How is money created? Um and, and wh- if I know how money is created, could I create money? And I guess my degree in economics helped me in that in some ways, because I know how money is created. I, yeah. So tell us what, so, cause when I think about money, I think about money as being an avenue of access mm-hmm. and you know, you just said you can create money. So t- talk more about money. Cause from, from what you know, from an economics and, and just like, what is money? How is it generated? And how does that tie into the abundance sort of mind frame? So if you think about it, money is basically a notion of value. If you are giving value to me, I'm giving value to you. We deal, we kind of put it on a note and say, okay, Michelle has given me 10 eggs, which are worth to me um, two headsets something like that. And that's, that's barter, but uh, that's typically done in the form of material goods. Now, if I went one step ahead and said, well, Michelle has taught me 
to be more kind as a person and i think that has a value of say five eggs i don't know like uh probably five million eggs but um you know yeah just it's, a just, it's, 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 it's just a number yeah and everyone in the world has something to teach someone else i agree and if you if you come to money from that sort of a perspective of i'm offering value Mm-hmm. and against that what is it that you are going to offer me back if at all you think that's valuable to you and if it's not valuable why are you even wasting your time right right, um, right. and if you come at it from that sort of a view then you realize that you can actually create money out of thin air because you can provide value out of thin air just that by fascinating being- that is so interesting because it gives you that's like so empowering because it gives you control almost i can create value that then can produce financial you know or bartering you know value back to me but i can produce like that's really empowering to think that you you can do that because you choose to and just finding that within yourself to create that like that's an empowering thought that's really powerful that is and i I mean the 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 funny thing is I don't understand how people are not seeing this it's it's right out there in front of your eyes you can just be um richard by providing value to others just by being more valuable to the society to people around you and then just have the guts to ask for uh the like price the that, yeah Yeah, I think some people don't um get the same messages and depending on where they come from, some some of the world views or some of the mindsets or the or the frames or the narratives that they grow up with don't have that included in there. Um because you know, I was taught that to get money you have to work. It wasn't about value, it was about doing rather than bringing something to someone else. It was more about what can I do? which is very different. And so, you know, that was the message that I got. And then as I got older and I got introduced to different people and different world views and different thoughts, then I was like, "Oh wait, it is more value-based." But the way you just described it, just it, I don't know, it clicked. It made a lot of sense about the empowerment piece of it because I can create that value with from within me and everybody has different things to contribute a value that are unique. and so there really is an abundance in the world because no one has what you have like you can offer value that i can't offer and i have value that you can't offer and then we can all have abundance and be happy <laughs> exactly that's that's it and um and i i completely agree on those scripts that we have since childhood so for example we have to do work we have to uh trade our hours um in exchange of money and that's all good that comes from a society that was far less sophisticated than us um if you look at the economics if you look at the sociology behind uh, all of it you realize that we are no longer working on the field or even on industry lines we are uh, we are doing something that is producing value at the end of the day for someone else 
Now, why do we not realize that we can provide that value as us for other people when we are doing it anyway uh, in our jobs? Like most services jobs don't, uh, I, I would argue for most people, eight hours a day is just a made up number because how do I know that your eight hours and my eight hours for the same job are the same? You might be far, far better at it than me. Right. Or some days I work 12 hours a day and I get the same amount done as another day when I'm much more efficient and I can get it done in six hours. So it's really more about the output than the time in exactly. think, um, more so. So we have been talking for almost an hour, which I think I could go on forever. <laughs> yeah. But, and I, I don't like to go too long. So yeah. I want to just recap um, because I think there's so much wisdom in what you had to say. Um, and then I want to also talk about more about how people can find you. But you, you know, you talked about that lack of confidence and how it impacts your self-esteem and then, you know, getting a mentor using, using that breath work and that nonverbal body language. Um, being more aware, asking yourself different questions. Those are like really good practical things that people can do to increase their confidence. And then I, I really appreciate you just helping me out with the, uh, our understanding with the money and the value because that, that is just so empowering. So in terms of your um, abundant psyche, like what services do you offer? How can people find you? What are things that, that, that you can offer? So I, I run a few courses um, on the abundancepsyche.com. They are not always open because I tend to help people out while uh, a course is on. So right now it's closed, but um, I mean, joining my email list is probably the best way to know when a course opens up. Uh, other than that, I do some personal mentoring slash coaching. Um, again, obviously I'm just one single person and I have a day job, so, uh, it's, it's limited. However, definitely I'm always available on email and, uh, my website is the I have a ton of free stuff on my blogs. Um, I am actually doing a ton of revamp on the rest of my free stuff as well. So that'll become more and more apparent in the next few days and actually for your listeners i have a special gift around the imposter syndrome and confidence if um, they wanted a checklist sort of a thing um, oh, that would be available. awesome yeah so it's available on the abundancepsyche.com slash okay. successful diligence so and i'll put the uh, link I'll in the show that. notes um so people can just click it uh from the link in the show notes um and they can also go to the abundant we use the abundantpsyche.com slash successful diligence yeah that's right okay perfect and i'll put all of this in the show notes as well um and then if you, we went too fast and you missed anything you can always reach out and contact me at successfuldiligence.com slash contact and i can put you in contact with sudeshna because she is such a resource and um, you know, I'm so excited that you had the time to come and share with us and I really appreciate um, the value that you brought to the podcast episode and that you, the gift that you're giving to my listeners. I think that's so awesome. So what are any, any last thoughts that you have for us? Um, just know that the universe is abundant and get out of that scarcity mindset and you'll have a blessed life.
Yes. Think abundant, walk into your destiny. As I always say, keep walking and then you're going to walk into your destiny of abundance if you just keep walking. And on the journey, always, always choose gratitude.